summoned the Scream Writers Podcast, the premier podcast welcoming both veteran and up-and-coming horror screenwriters slaying their craft. <laughs> and now, your hosts, Ariel Relaford and Patrick Mediate. Welcome to the Scream Writers Podcast. I'm Patrick Mediate, New York in June on Twitter, and I'm joined by the tenacious Ariel Relaford. Hey there. Hello. How's it going? What do you, what's your Twitter handle? Come on, give it to him. Ariel Relaford. Super hard. It's very difficult, uh, as we've <laughs> established week to week. Uh, we are nearing uh, the end of season one unfortunately sadly but much needed i think because we have blown it out in this first season and we just need time to like recuperate and get re-energized renewed to bring you a killer second season i think we got something like four episodes left Uh, they are gonna be freaking amazing but all good things must come to a pause as we've established Yes, yes, not an end, a pause. Not an end, a pause, a pause. We have a fantastic guest for you today. Her name is Sandra Levitin. She is fantastic. She is a producer, producer. Let's let's not forget our relationships, folks, with other industry creatives, other industry decision makers. They're super important, right, Ariel? Like, it's super important that we all have positive, meaningful, and healthy relationships with mm-hmm. uh, with others in the industry, other screenwriters, and other creatives, others that do other things in this business. Yeah. Simply put, respect everybody and treat them kindly and not creepily. Yeah, let's Don't be a creep. creep. Let's not creep on people. And and it's I know we joke about the whole parachuting into someone's backyard and uh, whether your screenplay strapped to your chest. But like that is really if you really think about it, super, super sketchy and creepy. So NPN screenwriters I've heard have done some scary things and have uh, been, you know, verbally and physically, let's say, uh, not so nice to people of power that hold the keys. Uh, that's not our job to attack people and mm-hmm. scare people. Yeah. Right. And yeah, just imagine how much, how many emails and phone calls and text messages producers or other creatives get every day. Oh, like, it's seriously. probably ridiculous. It's, it's, it's in the thousands, in the thousands. Oh, yeah. um, especially very, very well-known producers and, and well-known Hollywood creative. They're, they're bombarded. And let's be honest, that's why there are managers and agents. A few bad eggs ruin it for everyone. So please be kind and friendly to your fellow uh, industry folk relationships are really a good thing in this business and again healthy relationships i think that if you have the chance to befriend befriend everyone befriend cinematographers and editors and and of course producers and other screenwriters and gaffers and i mean the list goes on right ariel the list goes on just just be friendly with everyone you come across because you never know if that person will know someone else who knows someone else. And eventually, when you're friends with enough industry folk as Ariel and I are, you will be also able to help them out. It's a it's mm-hmm. it's called paying it forward, right? You remember that yes. movie with Kevin Spacey and Haley Joel Osmond where he was like, "Oh, I'm going to pay it forward." That's a real thing. You know, it is. pay it forward, and and uh, when you give, it will return. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you give comes back. It always does. Yeah, um, and so you never and you never know who's going to be your boss in the future never, either, ever. or you keep you on or off a project. So, just keep that in mind. You never yep. know. Yep, yep, and 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 relationship wise too, I will say this: relationships will be your best asset in furthering your career it's not going to be going to a spreadsheet of which you've made 500 random producers agents manager and cold querying them sure you may get someone who's like oh i like that idea let's uh take a chance on this kid huh but 
you know, more likely you're going to meet someone who knows someone and they're going to do you a solid. And it's because they mm-hmm. like you. I mean, you're a, you, you have to have good work and you have to put forward good, good material. But honestly, it's all about being a good person. Be a good person and good things will happen to you. Yes. 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 That's, that's, that's not much more to say. That's, that's all a, she wrote. It, that's Ariel says yes. It's a yes. <laughs> we have a fabulous guest on today. Her name is Sandra Levitin. She is phenomenal. She's got a, a new film that she's producing coming out. Ariel, what's it called? Student Body. Student Body. Uh, great, great title. And why don't we just get right into it? She's she's definitely a good person to know in the biz. She's she's seen she's seen a few things. She's been through it. She knows what's real. She's a screenwriter and producer. Tell us a little bit about Sandra Ariel. Sandra Levitin is a Los Angeles-based producer and writer, currently in post-production on the coming-of-age thriller feature Student Body, written and directed by L.A. Kerr. And prior to starting her company, which is Under the Stairs Entertainment, Sandra spent five years working in current programming at top cable network FX, working on over 25 original series including American Horror Story, Sons of Anarchy, Archer, and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which is amazing. Her career in scripted television and film began in the TV literary department at the Paradigm Talent and Literary Agency, specializing in TV writers and directors. Before transitioning into the scripted television world, she worked as a production coordinator in reality TV and was a music video producer. Passionate about mentorship, Sandra is a speaker at top writing conferences, film festivals, and schools throughout the country. She's also served as a judge and mentor for the UCLA MFA Screenwriter Showcase and the JT3 Art Foundation. So she's a fantastic guest, and we are so honored to have her. And without further ado, welcome to the show, Sandra. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome. Of course. You've had such an interesting career path, moving from reality TV to Paradigm to FX to starting your own production company. What made you decide to branch off and start Under the Stairs Entertainment? Well, I think it's a long, twisty path, but it started really, I mean, as a kid, I always knew I wanted to to do this. I always knew I wanted to make TV and film. I always knew I wanted to tell stories, and I always knew I wanted to do my own thing. But I also knew coming up that I was, you know, I didn't have people in the business. I knew I would kind of have to start in the system before I could leave the system. And I figured I'd just work my way up until the point where I felt ready to make the jump. And so uh, I did finally. I had great jobs, great experiences. I always say like, you know, working at FX was the dream job till it wasn't because it was a great job. I was working on great shows with great people and having a great time. And, um, you know, I realized that like that was just the point where I needed to start going and making things for my own and championing the projects that I felt passionate about besides, you know, having, because I'd been working on these other shows for so long, which were all fantastic, wonderful shows that I'm super proud of, but they weren't mine. Um, And they weren't talent that, you know, I mean, I was championing them, but, you know, I didn't find them from, from the ground up. Um, And so, yeah, that finally, you know, I hit that point and started uh, under the stairs entertainment. Um, like exactly nine years ago. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's 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 really cool to like think that you you know you had this dream as a kid. I also had a dream as a kid to want to be in the business, just watching a lot of movies and just loving a lot of movies. So so it's kind of cool to think of someone who has no connections in the industry like myself making it to where you are through a lot of hard work, right? What were some of your first roles in in the business before you, that kind of led you to to where you are? Oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, because I had this dream so young, um, I started as a kid where I just would try to get into any theater production I could. Um, You know, I mean, I started doing like improv classes before they were cool when I was like in junior high and high school, which, you know, probably made me more of a nerd at that point. But my first like jobs, I worked in cable access is really where I got my first start in television. Oh, yeah. Good old cable access Uh, television. I was about 17 years old and I was super fortunate that my high school had an internship program. And I was like, all right, well, I want to work in TV and film. Like, 
what is there? I grew up in central Massachusetts. And while Boston's like a great hub for like documentary and news and like PBS, it didn't really have, you know, a scripted scene. It didn't have like a film scene. Like at that point in my life, only like two movies had shot in my city, like I think ever. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a popular place. And, you know, I mean, now everyone's shooting in Boston, but back then it wasn't really the case. And so I went to a local news channel and they were like, well, you're too young and try cable access. So I was like, okay. So that was my very first job. Um, the very first thing I ever did for them was I produced a news segment about the model train club. No and way. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, I, st I still have it. There <laughs> what's more, it. what's more cable access than the Model Train Club? I, I ask you this. Oh yeah, um, it was perfect. And like honestly, like I did. I mean, you want a picture like everything cable access. Like I mean, I was fortunate that I got to do everything there. I got to produce. I got to direct. I got to edit. This was still back when we had like tape to tape VHS editing. Like I'm dating myself now, um, but that was a thing we did. And um, I directed this workout show. Like I grew up watching this workout show because it was so, it was just so bad. <laughs> like I laughed at it as a kid. Like it was, you know, this woman in this like 80s style leotard, even though it wasn't the 80s anymore. And she would just like grapevine across the screen, like repeatedly for like an hour. Oh my goodness. And, nice. she, had, and she had this one fake plant. And she would just keep bumping into the plant. So I thought this was like the most hysterical thing ever growing up. And then I became a director on that show. So every time I've discovered that I'm like, I'm never going to do something is always the thing I'm going to end up doing like that never fails. You know, at one point, just quick side tangent, like at one point I was like, I'm never going to make, you know, a post-apocalyptic something or other because I was so sick of it. And my short film zone two, it has post-apocalypticness to it. Um, you know, I'm like, I'm never going to write. And then what do I do? I become a writer. So anytime I'm like, I'm never going to do something like that's where it started. And I think that workout show cursed me forever for it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a blessing and a curse at the same time. It really is. But, you know, I got to do so many cool things through cable access. You know, I started, that's where I started producing music videos and I started tracking down bands whenever they would come to town. So like my first I guess love, if you will, at that point was really combining film and music. So like music videos were huge back then. And so we had this one music show that was like distributed all across different cable access networks throughout like the East Coast. And so I became a producer on that show and I would literally just like go to like the stage door and wait for the band to come out. And like, you know, I'm like 17, I'm not even five feet tall. I weighed like 80 pounds soaking wet. And there'd be like these hardcore rock bands. And I'd be like, hey guys, you do an interview for cable access? It's free publicity. Not that they needed our free publicity and like our audience was like five. But that's how it started. Um, and I got some really cool interviews actually that way because they were like, I've never seen anything like this before. So sure. Um, so that was my very, very first first job. And that was my you know entrance way into producing and into television. Um, so that was my very first job. Um, I continued to produce music videos um, in Boston when I was in school. You know, I made short films at that point. And then my first like Hollywood job um, was I interned at 20th Century Fox um, because again, like I chose, I intentionally chose a school that had an internship program because mm -hmm. I knew I was going to need it. Mm -hmm. And so I actually went to Emerson College. And yes, me too. Program. Oh, excellent. So, you know, you know <laughs> I, nice. I know the importance. I, I was over at Mark Platt Productions in my internship. Oh, and everyone it's... went to Mark Platt except for me. I went to 20th. Ah, oh, um, yes. Yeah. But like, you know, in like that nice fancy new building. Like mm -hmm. I never, I've never even walked in there because my tuition paid for that. My school mm -hmm. loans that I paid off for eternity paid for that building. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, of course. Of like, course. We, we were like, yeah, like we were in a tiny little, like one room classroom behind a laundromat, like a dry cleaners. So <laughs> yeah. that was mm -hmm. our, our experience. And it was, was that the, was it the same building that that's in Burbank? Yeah. That they used uh, to do it was near like um near like the uh, Mexican restaurant and yeah. the Jay Leno show and all those, that area. It was near there, yeah. Like we were, yeah. 
um it was like Toluca Lake ish yes yes that's yeah. exactly that's exactly where yeah. I my little classroom was too you know exactly so we were in the same classroom so you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about yeah, I, I do and so that was my first like Hollywood gig was the internship at 20th and then um the first paying job was at a small agency that did celebrity endorsements and voiceover work and i weirdly got that job off of monster.com which never happens to anybody but it was my first paying job and i was like great an assistant job like we'll go for it um and that's you know what opened the the paying door for me in hollywood yeah that's always a good door to be in yeah it was it was good it was good <laughs> um, i can't say the job itself was good mm -hmm. um but it led to uh, other other great it, things exactly like it allowed me to then propel that to the other stuff so yeah and that's what it's all about and and i can clearly see you know we we've taken some of the same moves uh you know it's it's a testament of get a job do something it will lead to something else which will lead to something else which will lead to something else um and that's clearly uh, evident in your case, what, what made you decide to gear your production company to focus on mainly the horror and thriller realm as, as opposed to like, you know, eat, pray, love, and one of those romantic comedies? Oh, of course. I love imagination. I love genre. I've always been that way. And so I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, um, at the time when I was trying to, you know, just figure out what my plan was um, for finally going out on my own. It wasn't even really a thought. And honestly, I didn't even realize how uneven it was for women and people of color and people with disabilities and, and everything in the genre. I just loved the genre. So it seemed just natural to me. And it wasn't until I really started getting out there that I realized like, oh, this is a problem. And I'm literally one of the only people doing it. And interestingly enough, very specifically, after I left FX and I was telling people about my company and what I wanted to do, um, I was really, really focused. I really wanted to do young adult horror. And at that point, no one was doing it. Like, cause I grew up on like, you know, like R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike and yeah. scary stories to tell in the dark and, yeah. you know, yep. you know, was it Wayside School and all of that, like, and you know, so that was just what I always gravitated towards. And so I really wanted to do it. And no one was making that at the time. And I literally ended up like, you know, it was hard to find any material for it um, at that moment because no one was really making it and no one was really writing it. And I ended up meeting like tons of places and telling them like, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. And they'd be like, what is that? And I would sit there and I would educate them and I would send them all these resources. And then they all went and did it. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, and that's awesome. I mean, I not that I can't take responsibility for like, hey, this trend, but it was definitely something that it's been interesting to watch because I was preaching it for so long before it finally happened. And, you know, now it's finally happened. And so now I finally am coming out with a feature, you know, student body, which is a young adult horror, young adult thriller. We call it gateway genre, or I call it gateway genre. Um, cause it's like just scary enough to like bring you in, but it's not one you're going to have to like watch between your fingers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was preaching the, the young adult genre for quite some time to, you know, when I was in development, uh, at a production company here in New York and, um, I'm, I, kudos to you for like actually getting the, getting this thing off the ground with the young adult horror. I, I was a kid who used to read John Belair's books, like the house with the clock in its walls oh, and those yeah. great horror mystery books, which I was preaching to my production company years and years and years ago, this was over like 10 years ago, um, about how they should make House of the Clock in its Walls into a film. And then lo and behold, all the years later, they did it. So it's it's exciting, so exciting you're doing this with Student Body. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and, and I mean, look, you know, it's film, film takes forever, especially in a, in a genre and um, that is, you know, not quite sure about, you know, particularly the, the young adult space or wasn't sure about it. And, you know, it's a, you know, first time female filmmaker as well. So that posed its own challenges, but we did it. Uh, it's coming out and, you know, I'm really proud of it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited and it's nice to finally see some of, some of that stuff that really started when I was a kid, just starting to finally come around full circle. It's, it's nice to see it, but to come back to your question about genre, it's just, you know, it's what I love. I love imagination. You know, that's why we got into this business was, or at least why I got into this business was to tell stories and tell stories with imagination and specifically 
um, my brand of that besides, you know, young adult stuff is I like finding um, the light in the darkness and the darkness in the light. And so like, that's like my very specific brand. So it's not to say I wouldn't do other genres, you know, I've definitely developed dark comedies, I've developed some dramas, but like, it always has that theme. It always veers darker. It always has some element of imagination in it. Yeah, I love that. And I'm so excited for Student Body. I've seen a few images from behind the scenes and it looks like it's going to be so much fun. And as the producer, how did L.A. Kerr's screenplay originally make it into your hands and what sold you on it? This is a super fun story and I love telling it. Um, so Leanne is our writer and our actor. Um, and she had actually um, cold emailed me um, at one point. It was like over the summer and I don't even know how she got my email address. Um, but she did. And I read the log line and I was like, oh my God, this is what I've been looking for. Send it over to me. And then it got lost in the abyss of emails and I never read it. And I forgot completely about it. Fast forward a few months. Um, and I started attending, um, a female filmmaker group. And that's where I met my co-producer, Rachel Liu, um, and happened to be like that particular meeting of this group. Um, we were the only two producers, everyone else in this group ended up being actors. And, you know, we went out for coffee and we found out that our tastes aligned very much. We both love genre. We both love genre that had something to say. We both, you know, are very passionate about inclusivity and so we just kept the conversation going. And then I want to say it was like November, December. She was like, hey, you know, I just signed on to this project. I think you might really dig it. It might be fun to do together. So she sent it over to me and it was student body. And um, I read it. And one of the fun things that Leanne did with this project was she had actually created um, a Spotify playlist that you could listen to while you read it. And, you know, coming back to what I said before, like I'm a sucker for combining film and, and music and creating an atmosphere and a mood. And she had done that so well, not just with the script, but then having this music accompany it. And so I just fell in love. So I was like, oh my God, we got to schedule a Zoom. You know, we all met, it was great. You know, we all signed on to do the project together. Fast forward now until we're going into pre-production. And so I'm organizing my emails. I'm like, all right, gotta, gotta be organized, start filing things. And I see this email from Leanne from well before about six months before I signed on to the project and I was like oh my god she had cold emailed me and I forgot completely about the script I had no idea that that was the same project it didn't even cross my mind because I had forgotten about it so hardcore and so I forwarded Leanne the email and I was like oh my god do you remember sending this to me and she goes oh, thank god you never read that draft <laughs> She's like, it's cha it changed so much between that when I sent See? that email and when you finally got it. Um, See, it's meant to be. It was meant to be that you saw it when you saw exactly. it. Um, it mm -hmm. was pure um, serendipity. And the other thing she goes, she goes, oh, my God, I forgot to follow up with you. So um, it was thankfully mutual. Um, but it was just, you know, it was kind of meant to be because there's only been, you know, maybe three projects ever that I've received like a log line for that, you know, I was like, oh my God, like I need to read this and I need to, I need to see this. And that was one of them. So. That's awesome story. And it's a perfect, also perfect segue into my next question. Um, while we have you here, uh, you being a producer with a, a production company that's geared towards horrors and horror and thrillers uh, predominantly, but a, a lot of screenwriters, they become frustrated because they, they have this great work um, that they've worked really hard on. They really believe in it. It may be incredible to them, and it may be just an incredible screenplay. But regardless, you know, they first, the process, right? You got to get it to a manager. Then the manager is going to recommend it to you. And then you're going to read it because the manager, you trust the manager. You know, there's there's this whole, like, uh, cart before the horse thing like you know it's it's like oh I want to do this but I can't do this unless I do this and there's a little frustration in the screenwriting world I would say we'd love to learn a little bit about your relationship with managers and you know uh, like your stances on unsolicited submissions and and truly from from your 
uh, for your perspective, why you don't take unsolicited materials so you can educate writers a little bit more about that and, and why you're a little bit discriminant towards certain things so it's for the betterment of your time and for projects and so on and so forth. Sure. Um, all right. There's a lot of layers in that question. The first, a lot of layers lot of there, layer. but kind of the same outcome at the end. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but actually, the first thing I want to start with is just, you know, you don't need a manager to get a movie made. You don't need an agent to get a movie made. TV is. Oh, my God. Everybody just sighed relief like... in our <laughs> entire audience. <laughs> I heard I hear this collective sigh from everyone who just. Who just yeah, I mean, that. look, a TV is a different beast. So I'm going to set that aside for a minute. I do a whole education series on, on, you know, TV, but on the film side, you just need one passionate producer, or even as a writer, you can be your own producer. It's not super recommended because it's just, it's a lot of heavy lifting, but you can be. And if you can find the money, whether that's through crowdfunding, whether that's through, um, you know, a wealthy relative through an inheritance through you just put together a really killer business plan or your relationships with other companies like you don't need a manager to necessarily get you to those places when I signed on to student body. Um, Leanne didn't have a manager she wasn't repped she got repped because of student body, so you don't need that um, most of the writers that i've actually worked with over the years some had representatives but a lot of them didn't i also very much enjoy working with emerging writers um and i'm not the only one i know tons of writers who have gotten films made without reps and i know tons of producers who will work with them don't let that be the barrier for you um it's about the relationships but the relationship doesn't have to be with a rep it can be with a producer it can be with a director it can be with you know, somebody's uncle's brother's sister's aunt who just happens to have some money and they believe in you. Um, mm -hmm. That's what you need in film is you just need one yeah. person to believe in you. Yeah, that's that's great advice. Do, do you believe in like writers creating that like massive 300 person random people they've never met or spoken to in their lives query list and literally blasting every single producer manager that they know with it i mean like i can imagine it might work but it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like the best strategy right it doesn't seem like all that relationship connected or focused yeah and that's exactly it and that's the problem with that particular strategy um queries can work cold emails can work. I have accepted in the past unsolicited submissions. I'm not saying I do right now, but when I when we talk about unsolicited submissions, I'll come back to the query thing in a minute. But that just means that somebody's not vouching for you. Um, you know, I am happy to read things that a producer friend brings to me, or a writer friend brings to me, or a director friend brings to me. Like it doesn't all have to come through reps. Number one, so it's just about the relationships and somebody else vouching for them. And there's a number of reasons why to do that, which one, um, as you know, an independent producer, as somebody with my own company, um, and I'm, I also write too. And so I need to protect myself legally and having that barrier of somebody vouching for you, you know, it doesn't always protect you legally, but what it does is it gives a vote of confidence saying, okay, I can, I can take this. If somebody just emails you out of the cold and it's a project for something that maybe you've already been developing, you know, has a similar theme of like something you've already been developing for a while, whatever, that can get into so many elements of trouble. If I then took that unsolicited one, read it, and then still continue to make my movie. And, uh, you know, that writer can come back and be like, well, you read my screenplay, but you made that movie two years later. Well, first of all, everything takes forever in film. So, yeah, that's very possible. Um, so, you know, it's a really hard balance, really, to be able to to do that, um, which is why, one, if you are querying, only send log lines, don't send whole, you know, pitches and synopses and all of that. Send the log line let the person you're emailing request more than that. Then once they're requesting, it's not necessarily unsolicited, but listen to their instructions. If they're like, okay, send me a synopsis versus send me the script. Don't send the script, send the synopsis, but send what they're asking for. Um, but it's a layer of protection. There's a lot more that, that goes into that and hopefully that explained it a little bit better, but you just have to tread lightly. With 
queries, they're perfectly fine to do, but it's like anything else in this business. Like you got to do your homework. If you don't already have a relationship with that person, is there anybody who you know that has a relationship with that person? A personal introduction is always going to go further than a cold email. That said, cold emails do work for some people, but it depends on the person on the receiving end. There are some managers who are perfectly open to receiving a query letter with a log line or a few log lines and a little bit of information about you. They'll be open to to reading because they might be looking at you as a potential client. Maybe they're looking at something to sell. As a producer, I mean, look, student body, when Leanne first sent that, that was unsolicited. I don't even know how she got my email, to be honest. Uh, I don't even think she knows how she got my email. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I fell in love with that log line and I was like, you need to send that over to me you know, and, you know, we got really lucky on that. I've had other ones where, you know, majority of them, I have no interest in that particular project, or maybe it treads on something I've already developed or something I'm already thinking about. So, you know, I try to avoid doing that. Um, I also coming from a unique position where I come from the studio system, you know, I worked at a TV network and studio, I've worked in the agency world. I've been on very scary receiving ends of screenwriters who I appreciate their enthusiasm, but can be very scary um, in terms of coming after you, trying to get you to read their work. I've been cornered physically at friends' birthday parties because they heard I worked at a network. I've had to call security when we worked, when I worked on the lot, like you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to call security. It even happened in the agency world. That's really scary. So someone like these stories of people actually parachuting into people's backyard, producers' backyards with scripts is not so crazy. But instead of a parachute, it's like an axe or a knife. And they just, it's terrifying. I mean, thankfully it hasn't been that extreme, at least not for, for me personally. But, you know, we would have people who would just show up at the lot every day, like demanding somebody, you know, read something. Um, Like I said, I, you know, being at a birthday party and like, when I say physically cornered, like, I mean, they would put their arms up against the wall and like corner me in and they'd be like, wow, I heard that's really terrifying. And they were literally like, I heard somebody from FX was going to be here tonight. I'm so glad I found you. And like, especially like, you know, and uh, you know, I'm, I identify as female. I am female. And you know, as you heard in my description before, I am a tiny human being. And so, you know, I hate to say a lot of times that they, they're men, but they are. And that's a very scary situation to be in. And so, you know, or there's the time where like, maybe there is that one time where you're like, oh, that log line sounds really cool. All right, I read the script. I'm not into the script. And, you know, we're all very passionate about our work as we should be, whether you're a writer, you know, director, producer, whatever. And hearing somebody say, you know what, this isn't right for me right now, it hurts no matter who you are and how you look at it, you know? It's part of what we do, but it hurts. And some people react to that hurt very differently and they go on the attack. So even if it's an email or a phone call, they'll start threatening, they'll, you know, they get very vocal and violent. And, you know, you don't know where these people are, you don't know, you know, what's gonna happen, you know? You've literally interacted with them no times other than, hey, thanks for sending me your script. Unfortunately, it's not right for me. Um, And so that's another reason why, besides like the legal stuff, besides the story stuff, like that's another reason why people like producers and agents and other, you know, executives don't take unsolicited submissions because we all have stories like that. Some are more extreme than others. And it just so happens I have some very extreme ones because of the fact I worked at a very well-known network. And, you know, I wasn't even like a high level exec or anything there, you know, like I can't even imagine what, what some of my, my senior bosses you know, went through at various times. I mean, possibly not as much because we took the brunt of it, but, Mm -hmm, (laughs) um, mm -hmm. you know, but that's another reason why unsolicited submissions can be really, really difficult for producers and execs and whatnot to accept because we don't know what's on the other side of it. Sometimes we get lucky and sometimes you get lucky um, and sometimes not. Um, So you do have to be very very careful. And again, there are some people who are super open about it and other people who are very guarded. I think most of us find ourselves somewhere in the middle. 
Yeah. And you got to be safe. I mean, this is, this is, per, it's amazing you're talking about this because I think it, it, goes a little bit unsaid i think a lot of writers just don't understand that that there's you have to see the other side of things there people aren't just trying to make this hard for you but it's kind of like a few bad eggs has made this hard for a lot of people but this is just the way it is and this is the way it has to be so you know develop your relationships with the people that you know you're close with see who they know you know form your relationships i always thought relationships were a lot more fun for me because you're meeting other people in the industry and just having fun and talking to them than it is to like query you know 500 people and nobody knows you from adam you know oh definitely and not to say it hasn't worked i mean there's you can give an example of literally any method whatsoever and it's worked for somebody somewhere but people keep doing it um mm -hmm. but the way that this town works is it, it is based on who you know you know that's why i took these early sometimes soul-crushing jobs because it was who i know you know and if you don't have that natural pathway into the business you got to do the things that you can to get to know people and the other part of that too is as you're getting to know people i mean look there is a fine etiquette and dance to this business which is a learned process but, you know, you don't want to like meet someone for the first time and then be like, read my script, read my script. And I can promise you, most people genuinely want to help each other in this business. Like if you sit down with an exec, like Patrick, if you went and sat down with an exec right now and it's your first meeting with them, and you guys had a great conversation and bonded over some of your favorite TV shows and movies and, you know, this cup of coffee you're drinking, you know, by the end of that meeting, that executive will probably be like, hey, so tell me what you're working on. And okay, I'd love to read it sometime, or if I can you know, help you in this, or maybe I've heard of a job. I would say 90% of the time that that happens, as long as the relationship and the conversation, you know, went well, and they don't feel threatened, or at least they feel interested, like people genuinely do want to help. Um, and if they don't come out with it, you know, immediately, then you just keep nurturing that relationship because eventually it will happen. People want to work with people they like, you know, they don't want to recommend somebody who's also going to hurt their reputation and they want to be able to do all, do all the things they want to find that shiny new piece of talent they want to recommend them for jobs, they want to hire them like they do want to do all that stuff. Um, but it's a it's a numbers game on both sides as an exact as a producer and even as a writer it's a numbers game of how many other people you meet and some you're going to connect with and some you're not and it's totally fine if you don't as well, but I think you know, you just have to kind of go in there and open and develop those relationships. Jobs don't happen because of one meeting. They happen because of long-term, you know, connections. I, I can give you like a million examples of, of how that's the case. Or even, you know, like, because we're talking about student body a lot, like I can even tell you the long-winded story of how really not just because, you know, Leanne emailed me or Rachel brought me the project, you know, it happened. It also happened because of the way that I got involved in this this filmmaking group and that traces back to a friend who I mean now a friend but you know one of our script coordinators on one of our early shows when I first started working there and then she introduced me to a friend who then introduced me to a friend who then introduced me to the person who brought me into this group and this group is how I ended up making this movie so you know and I mean that's a I think I calculated it out to be like 13 plus years, almost 15 years. So, you know, just because something doesn't happen in the moment and satisfy that need um, to, you know, and that ambition that we all have to like run out there and make something or get something read or get something produced or whatever, the person that you're sitting down with today is the person you're gonna make a movie with in 10 years you know, or they're going to introduce you to the people who you're going to make that movie with in 10 years. So it's all, you always have to play the long game. And that's why like, you know, coming back to like the whole querying thing, you might be querying, you know, 500 people and maybe something's going to work out. But if you're targeted, you know, finding those people who have similar sensibilities to you, people who might be interested in the kind of work that you're writing or you're directing or producing, you're going to, 
connect with those people and they're more likely to want to work with you and you're more likely to want to work with them and then introduce you to those next people and then those next people and then that's the person you're going to make that project with that is fantastic advice here here yeah and when a screenplay does get into your hands and people aren't being totally nuts about it what do you look for in a piece of work i i mean first and foremost like you know good writing is always good but um it has to just be something that like it holds my interest it's exciting it feels fresh and new and it's fun you know one of the hardest things and i think this is one of the biggest challenges um writers and even when when i have my writing hat on that i face as well is making sure that the person on the other side is turning the page um, and not getting distracted. You know, we live in a very distractible world, but if I can sit through your script without any interruptions and read straight through, like that's a really good sign. Did it move me? Am I into the characters? Am I into the plot? Can I see this getting made? Can Is this something that I personally think I can, you know, get made or at least at the very least try my damnedest to get it made because I love it. You know, I just connect to things emotionally so like there's not any one set of rules like I always kind of say it's like apartment hunting or job hunting or even dating like it's a numbers game you've got to go through a ton but when you find the right ones you just know like you feel it immediately um so it's a really like it's a gut feeling for me great that's awesome. That's that's per- perfectly said because um, I think uh, a lot of a lot of different writers are like, oh, you know, is it is it one thing or not? Is it my formatting? Is it my you know? Is it the character arc? Is it this or that? I think at the end of the day, tear all that down. And if it's a good story, if it like you said, if it keeps your interest, if it's entertaining and fun, isn't that what everybody wants when they're watching a movie? Like it should, if you're watching a movie, that's what you should want out of uh, reading a screenplay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's like the main thing, you know, like, look, I, I've worked in, you know, I've coached and taught writing and, and, and done all that as well. And God knows I've been engaged in more than enough, you know, conversation on social media about every screenwriting rule under the sun. But I think really like the key thing to remember is just, just be consistent in whatever you're doing have it service the story and the characters. And as long as your reader isn't distracted, anything that's distracting is going to be the problem because the second that they are, they're gonna pick up their phone, they're gonna go get a snack, they're not engaged. And for some people that distraction might be formatting. For some people that distraction might be bolded slug lines. For some people it might be excessive typos and just talking on like a purely like, crafting and other people that's not going to bother them at all and so as long as you're consistent and it's not distracting I think that's really the key thing and then that point you know like obviously like you know as long as your plot makes sense and your characters are engaging and motivating and empathetic and you're having a good time then I think it's it's workable I think the other big thing about you know particularly you know um newer or emerging writers is, you know, I I do look at it in terms of also too, like, does this writer have the ability to get this over the finish line? Because I don't like being that person who hires somebody else to write another project uh, or to write on the same project, like to do a rewrite. And this is very common, like every big production company, every studio, everyone does this. It's not like a hidden secret or anything personally just I don't typically do that and so for me do I think that writer can you know elevate it do I think that they can do notes can they follow through can they do that and you know that's where some of those things become a little bit more important because I need to be able to see that you are a good writer because we're going to be working together a lot so you might have like a story or a concept even that's really really interesting but if you still can't execute it properly on the stage then I'm going to pass on it mm-hmm. so it's twofold like don't be distracting but also like you have to be able to show what your skills are and be uh malleable enough to 
you know, collaborate with you to, if it's not quite where it is, you still are the right person for the job. You just need to be collaborative and work on it and develop it some more with the, with your producer. And, and I think that's a perfectly acceptable request, to tell you the honest truth. I mean, a writer should be able to elevate their material uh, and collaborate. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, and, and that, that becomes a problem too, oftentimes with, um, you know, emergent and newing writers, newer writers, um, because, you know, you just haven't been through the process before and everything is very precious. Um, and so like, look, I approach notes and rewrites, you know, I think differently than a lot of people. And this actually comes from my time at the agency in the network world, because I was really fortunate that I had amazing bosses who believed in collaboration with our, our writers and our, our creatives and trusting them. So notes were a discussion. They were very, very rarely a directive. It does happen, but very rarely. And so for me, like doing notes and working on rewrites and revisions, it's not like you need to do this. It's let's talk through this. Let's see if we can brainstorm, spark some new ideas to solve this problem. Um, if this is something you're really, really passionate about, then let's discuss it. Like, let's get to kind of the root of what these feelings are that maybe myself or someone else is, who's reading has. And writers who, I don't want to say, like, they refuse to hear it. Um, I'm not saying that they refuse to execute, but they refuse to hear it, which means it puts the story at this kind of standstill. And that is when it becomes a problem to work oftentimes with with greener writers and that's why a lot of producers and a lot of executives don't like working with newer talent or they do bring someone in for a rewrite um, because of the fact that you know they the young writer or the newer writer just doesn't understand the process or understand how to collaborate or understand what it means and so they start pushing back on everything and then it just becomes more trouble than it's worth so you know when you're talking about being malleable that is really important but it's about being able to communicate and discuss things through as opposed to immediately being defensive over you know it's not even criticizing their work because once you're you're working with a, a producer an executive or a director it's a collaboration. Um, and if you don't want to collaborate, then that's might not be the right partnership for you. Yeah. And that's the one of the most exciting things about me, uh, you know, like in my mind about writing is to like actually collaborate. That excites me the most. I mean, I am excited by writing, but I'm also so excited about getting it to a stage where it's like, oh man, we can like sit in a room and throw some ideas and, and it can even get better than it is, right? Everybody should want their work to be as best as it could possibly be. And um, that's all in that collaboration. We have one last question for you. Uh, we ask this of all of our guests, and uh, it's a very simple one. What scares you besides, you know, uh, writers like corner you in back alleys and after parties and stuff like that? Um, that's an excellent question. All right. I have a few answers for you, and some are ridiculous, but some are like real. Um, the first thing that scare- scares me is singing. I love public speaking. I'm weird like that. I will not sing in public. I will not do karaoke. I will not do anything like that. So like I have a genuine fear of singing in front of people. So that is that is legit. Um, I've had that since I was probably about 12. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we know we know if writers want to take meetings with you, not to take you to karaoke bar. Yeah. Okay, oh, next. God, it's the worst. <laughs> karaoke is like so popular, particularly with like film festivals and stuff and birthday parties. Oh, and God, I'm like, I, I will go and I will support you and show you my love, but I will not sing um yeah it's a challenge um so that 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 is one fear um and then you know in terms of like really just genre stuff there's a few things but like I would say like dolls are always really creepy to me like automatons are really freaky I love them like I love them so deeply like I would love to like have like a real like automaton from like 18 whatever but they yeah like Hugo yeah, but like they scare the bejeebies out of me, but I want one so bad. Um, but yeah, like I think like <laughs> dolls are super creepy. 
certain types of imagery in horror films can be really scary to me. Like extra sharp teeth get me, you know, when they kind of like, they contort their bodies and do like kind of like backwards crab walking. Things like that to me are really freaky and scary. So so are these, the question is, are these the things that, these the stories and, and situations that writers should be sending to you in their screenplays or shouldn't? Because is it, they, do they scare you in a good way or a bad way? Scary in the best way. Um, Good, good, I mean, good. But I do like I. I will have like those nighttime like images of like, like something like that happening, like just because I have a crazy imagination like that. Um, <laughs> You're gonna get like five Sharknado scripts next week oh, from it. all of our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I I do like. I'm a very obvious, as you can tell, I'm a very visual person, and so mm -hmm. um, those kind of visual scares to me. I. I love them, but they do. They freak me out. Um, also, needles. Needles are the things not to say. Uh, don't yeah. Needles are the worst. Don't kill so dogs bad. and don't do needles. I can't do that. Uh, uh. Outside of that, I, I, I'm terrified. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, great answers, Sandra. Great answers. Th thank you again for coming on the show today. This has been an incredible conversation. You've shined light on a lot of uh, darkness, I think, too, for a lot of our listeners in a lot of areas. So uh, really appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was super fun. And yeah, um, everyone just yeah, keep writing. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for joining us in one of our final episodes of the first season. I'm, I'm getting a little weepy. I'm getting emotional, but uh, we'll be back. We'll be back. We got like four episodes left. And until then, we do have our sponsor that's still hanging around uh, their incredible 1428 Street. Uh, if you head over to Facebook, 1428ST, they've got, uh, they're amazing artists. They're incredible artists over there and they will hook you up with a super cool horror knife or, you know, horror toaster or whatever you want to, you know, paint Jason Voorhees's face on uh they'll do it for you and they'll do it for you for 15 percent off your your order by using code scream writer at checkout fantastic and also in the meantime before our next episode which i i have to say our guest next week is absolutely off the charts incredible cannot wait we're going to keep it a surprise until we meet again next friday but until that time ariel where can everyone find us on social media you can subscribe to us on apple podcasts and spotify if you like twitter you can find us at screenwriters pc for Instagram, you can find us at Screamwriters Podcast. Or if you have any questions or want to be on the show, visit ScreamwritersPodcast.com and fill out our contact form. Until next time, keep writing. And stay scared. <laughs>